Welcome to Pop Culture Federation. Welcome to the Pop Culture Federation Podcast. I'm your host, Mikey, and I'm here with two very special people. Um, I've mentioned many, many times before on the show that I'm doing uh, a guesting on a podcast called Exit for Podcast, uh, talking about different things X-Men related, uh, specifically Alpha Flight. And in our Marvel episodes, and I always say the one thing I do want to see is an Alpha Flight movie or a show. So I am here today with Nico and Kevo. Who not only do podcasts, but they also write and draw their own comic. How you doing, guys? Hey, we're doing great. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And that's what we do. We do podcasts and comics and kind of like, we're generally multimedia man mavens. Okay, I'll take that. Yes, and also gym enthusiast. Yeah, I... I yes. Yeah, you know, it's like, look, I... I fully believe that we need to take whatever measures are necessary to be safe and healthy. So when they said no gym, I said, okay, no gym, but then no Pam. And I hung in there (laughs) and I dealt with it. And Governor Murphy saw it in his capacity as governor to give us back the Holy Land. And I have now returned to the Holy Land and things are right with my body-ish. My body fat, not so much, but... My body, everything's better. We're in a very everybody's drinking lattes with goatees kind of place. You just mentioned the office reference, and during quarantine, I watched the office in its entirety for the first time. How did you feel about it? I. So going into it, I was like, because I did try to watch it once or twice in the past, and the first season was a little rough. Yeah. And. After, like, my my wife watched it, and she was like, no, no, you really got to watch it. I was like, okay, so we'll sit down, and I watched it, and I ended up actually loving it. I, I think it's really, really good. I The one character, though, that I'm not a huge fan of, except later on he gets better, is Michael Scott. Well, I, I, I think... He... I hate Dwight to death. Like, I think Dwight is dangerously problematic. My cousin says that that he goes, you know, you just remind me of Dwight. And I was like, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment. No, and see, and I... And after I watched it, I was like, oh, I get why you think that. I don't see a Dwight in you. I feel like... I don't feel like you have an office counterpart. I feel like you're a little bit more in the, like, Parks and Rec realm of kind of, like, you're somewhere between a Ron Swanson and a... No, he leaves in season two. Oh, Brandanowitz. Danowitz. Yeah, you're kind of somewhere between a Swanson okay. and a Brandanowitz for me. Swan Danowitz. Like a Swan Danowitz, okay. yeah. So, like, I I would definitely, like, I see where they're coming from, but, like, Dwight is literally mean-spirited and is garbage and... And I, dumb, and, and you're not dumb. dumb. You're not dumb, right? Yeah. Now, the only smart thing Dwight ever did was love the best character on that show, who is hands down the queen of my heart, Angela is far and away the best part about The Office. I absolutely quit in season four 
or five, maybe. It just it was it, it got too ooky for me. Oh, I thought you were I going to say ooky. Pam though, because I love his friendship with Pam. I, I also Pam. quit around the same time as you. It it just became too cringe for me, and I'm sad that I never finished because I know Catherine Tate becomes a huge fixture on the show, and I love her. And we are oddly attached to James Spader. He needs yeah. to call us. Uh, you know, I didn't know that was him, because I've only... I, I know him best from Age of Ultron, so when I'm hearing him speak, I'm like, why does this guy sound like Ultron? And then I looked it up, I was like, oh, because that is Ultron. I know him best as the most incredible male lawyer ever created by David E. Kelly... I know him as Alan Shore, who keeps a very tidy penis. And plus, let's not forget his connection to another MCU villain in the, I believe, 1994 film Stargate, which co-starred Kurt Russell, who played Ego. The Living Planet! Yeah. So James I mean, Bader was in Stargate? Yeah. Yeah. He's the... He's, he's the nerd scientist guy. I feel bad saying it, but he's the inferior Daniel Jackson. Because, like, here's the thing backup i love star trek and i love star wars but if you're asking me my star fandom it is stargate you devoured that series i like you have no idea i watched all 10 seasons and the first okay so here's what happened i knew i wanted to get into stargate because i remembered watching it with my buddy aldo when i was growing up right because he had it like he had a thing for it and he would watch it when it was on showtime right but then i lost track of it when it went into sci-fi and i didn't even watch it that religiously when it was on showtime in the first place but anyway back to the story at hand i knew they had done a really beautiful box set of the cartouche with the stargate open in the middle of it so i knew i had to get it because it was beautiful and you could get it on ebay for a reasonable amount of money right but then i wanted to get the atlantis set that was going to come out that would match but because atlantis was a less popular property at the time because nobody knew who jason momoa was at the time they did not right nobody knew who he was so nobody really cared about it and there was a reason for that right and so atlantis is also a little bit hard to watch it's kind of clunky not everything is about rodney which unfortunately makes it the inferior of the two shows but anyway back to the point at hand daniel jackson who is later the most lovable buff nerd in the world is just the best part of sg1 well no the second best part of sg1 because any show that has Sam Carter on it. The best part of the show is Sam Carter. Oh, if they're going to say any show that has Claudia Black on well, it. And Vala Maldoran is the, is the best part of the latter years, but you have to wait to get to her. She's only in 8, 9, 10. So anyway, story is that Stargate's real, real good. Well, Stargate SG-1 is real, real good. The movie is okay. And then the follow-up movies are in the vein of the series. Atlantis is fine. Infinity is fun, but dumb. And I've never brought myself to watch Universe because it just i i don't know and now i can't watch anything with robert carlisle in it because now he's just always going to be my rumple but to bring this all back to the point at the beginning everyone who was in the movie came back for the tv show except for the two main stars much like the tv adaptation of clueless it was kurt russell and james spader in the original film and for the tv show it was the guy from macgyver and you just said his name, and now I can't remember what his name I is. I never said his real name because I can't remember it. Oh, what is his real name? Alexa. The guy who looks like Ben Browder. What is the name of the actor who played Daniel Jackson on Stargate SG-1? <laughs> no, this is the wrong person. I didn't know Jason Momoa was in Atlantis. 
Yeah, that was like one of his earliest acting roles. Yeah, and it's not that I think the character he plays is unimpressive, but I'm not particularly fond of punch first, laugh at all of the people you cripple. And then like when you try and make me compelled to like the character because they take things very seriously too when it's someone they love. Like, no, fuck you. I'm not a member of an anyone but household. Michael Shanks. Michael Shanks, thank you. And here's what I mean by an anybody, an anyone um, but household, right? So characters like the ones Jason Momoa usually plays, these very I like to punch, haha kind of guys, they tend to make fun of the same things they are then fiercely defensive of, but because it's their enemies, it's funny, haha. And that's kind of the, the, the dumb punch em up that he plays on Atlantis. And he's absolutely taken that character and evolved it since, and he's, you know, made a billion-dollar f- movie about a fish guy. So, you know, Guillermo del Toro, the greatest director of our age, didn't make a billion dollars with The Shape of Water, and his had fish fucking, right? So I think... Oh, you guys curse here, right? I was going to say, can yep. we swear on air? Oh, okay. thank God. So, yep, absolutely. Um, you know, th- that one has fish having, you know, like... Fish fuck sex. Fish fuck in it. Fish fuck. And like with eggs. Or because fish have sex with eggs, right? I don't know, man. I watched it on an airplane and they put a. Like you heard the audio and they had just. The screen went black and then it just had a line of text that said, This is what's happening. Oh. they're like i'm like oh okay well that's what's happening but you hear it the whole time but you're just reading this because they're like i guess they don't want anybody like if you have children by you to see it is that more or less uncomfortable than them just showing it to you i can't tell oh on a plane you can't escape yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> james bonded out but like fish fuckers on a plane right so but here's here's a thing that that made me think of right so i think it's really so okay i think the nature of superlatives is a little bit dangerous if you don't put them in a contextual container right so like i don't like to say my favorite movie anymore because it just makes me look like an asshole when i say something else is my favorite movie two minutes later so i like to say like i've got categories of favorite movie right and one of my favorite Mm -hmm. movies of all time is fritz lang's metropolis Mm. and the most restored cut of it kevo got it for me a couple of years ago for my birthday on blu-ray and it's just like one of the most perfect films ever made and it was such a wonderful, full fucking day we spent watching that movie because it's that long. And so many of the scenes in it can't ever be recovered. And that's the only way they can be rendered. There are some that are rendered with stills and text below or on them. And then there are others that are explicitly described in text because no part of the footage survived from 1927 right yeah it's a really spectacular spectacular movie hold on i actually keep it on my dvd shelf in the office so hold on a lot of movies from that time period though they had uh they a lot of them were lost or parts of them were lost uh just through time and then the nitrate film catching fire being destroyed yeah and and well, so the addition I want to recommend to anybody interested in finding out a little bit more about this movie is The Complete Metropolis, released by Kino International. It has 25 minutes of never-before-restored footage. It unbelievably runs at a, a near-frightening 148 minutes. And so it's a, 
It's a sitter inner. Uh, there's also a 50 minute documentary, and I just I can't say enough about the score. And the score gets a really spectacular highlight on the DVD set. So as much as I'd love to say, just check out the stream of it on YouTube because it's 1927. I'm pretty sure you stream this mother. You know this is this is YouTube territory at this point. But you know if you wanna. Check out a good DVD edition. Check out the complete by Kino. Well, you keep saying DVD, but you're holding a Blu-ray in your hand. You're such an old man. And it's even fucking blue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, and it's not even like they call them Blu-ray DVDs. They're just called Blu-ray discs. But I guess if you kids want to check it out on your streamy pod or whatever you have now. How come, how did Bluebird never catch on? Like blue and then BRD, Blu-ray disc. How did like Bluebird never catch on? Wow. That's if like if there was a job out there for somebody to just think of names of things, I think you would be the best candidate. <laughs> is it is it a talkie or is it a silent movie? Oh, it is silent. Yeah, it's it is. That's per- part of what is so exhausting. It is particularly silent with with subby titles all up in your face. Really okay. amazing okay. to watch what they were capable of doing back then, though. And you know what? It's 100 years old. Because, and here's part of what, like, fucks my mind so hard about that, right? When I think about the contextual reality of what that movie did and how far it evolved film in, in like, 1927 even, and the iconography from Metropolis is still so prevalent in our sci-fi experience. The iconography from Metropolis shows up in Doctor Who, whether it's in the form of the Cybermen, or in some ways, the Weeping Angels are sort of a ceramification of the Metropolis Angel design. I'll take it. And so, you know, we see that iconography there. The aesthetic of Star Wars leans comfortably on the developments of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. And George Lucas openly admits that that was one of his heaviest influences. The underground city came on to inspire everybody who did a film about H.G. Wells' material in the years to come. And so, you know, I think about what that accomplished. And then at the same time, you know, you say it's almost 100 years later. I think about Twin Peaks' The Return and how we sat through episode eight and just tried to understand what we were watching. And it was like the 53rd episode of the franchise. And we... It was the 40th episode of the franchise, and we just tried to process how evolved and how far evolving it was for film. And it's just so fascinating because they're both sitting on the same DVD shelf. And it's just really unbelievable to me that 100 years later, we're still fucking with film in a really explosively surrealist sci-fi way. It's some of the old stuff because... I'll watch just like random um, like uh, reviews on YouTube of just like old horror movies, old sci-fi movies, like uh, alien movies from the 50s. And even just some of the backgrounds that they use were just all hand-painted. Or that one from Alien uh, where when they land on the uh, the planet and the whole background is painted. It's breathtaking. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. The things that they were able to do. And, you know, I think about the way that we don't always think about scope when we think about design process, right? To kind of express how sometimes we don't consider medium. The way Star Trek 
was able to make their earliest ship models look pretty good was, you know, tiny little ship models. Nobody was building spaceships on the CBS Paramount backlot with production financing from Desilu to give Gene Roddenberry an actual hyperdrive. So they would make a toy and they would film it cleverly and they would lay in effects and they would make it look like an actual fucking spaceship, right? But at the same time, Mm -hmm. J.H. Williams III, the artist behind Alan Moore's Promethea and Neil Gaiman's Sandman Overture, which was his recent prequel sequel to the Sandman narrative, which is, you know, super in the news right now because of the audible, the audible, hey, what's up? Because of the audible drama (laughs) and then also because of the upcoming tv show on netflix both of which have neil gaiman writing them and executive producing it's all very exciting but i think about how jh williams the third in order to get the level of detail he wanted on his work he would draw things at like 10 feet tall wow he'll just fucking paint that motherfucker so big because the scope of it to create that level of fine detail we have it to create that level of fine detail is so necessary <laughs> are you okay yeah, 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 yeah we have every episode so far don't okay, worry okay good <laughs> we're subscribed to audible honey it's, it's- i was like when did this come out i completely forgot uh what do you think i do at five in the morning i listen to my audible account speaking of which the things i recommend on audible if you're like a little bit nervous about getting into audiobooks because everybody should be listening to audiobooks but i guess if you're already listening to podcasts you're probably listening to audiobooks anyway i love audiobooks the thing i would recommend if you need something to get you into audiobooks is alien has done a trilogy of in-universe audiobooks that add to the narrative two of which feature ripley there is also a number of pretty good marvel comics audio adaptations i recommend those as well and you know the sandman adaptation is pretty unfucking believably killer the Sandman adaptation just taken right from the comic like beat for beat yeah okay that is something to know i'll note that down so a lot of this so one you can tell that you're both huge fans of movies and then just the lore and the knowledge that goes into them has this influenced you and i'm sure it has in some way on some of the works that you both do uh, so i have a list here because you're both very very busy i don't know how you find the time to do all this is um so let's start with option. kid riot so let's start with kid riot um so okay so kid riot is you know so okay Everybody's always trying to figure out how they want to enter the world of media. And that's something I hear from people a lot whenever I'm like, you know, come on our podcast. And I hear, I mean, I don't want to sound dumb, but like when I'm going to do my podcast, I want it to be my own thing. And I I really do appreciate that. And I understand it. Or I would say, you know, come on and write or draw an issue of Kid Riot. And the first thing I would hear from people would be, I get that, but I, my dream is to do my own thing. And I'm like, okay, I, and I get that too because I started with Kid Riot, so the fuck I can tell you what to do. But I spent so long waiting for the right idea to come around that because I, I was always trying to have my Neil Gaiman Sandman run. I was always trying to be Garth Ennis hitting it big on Hellblazer and then refining it into Puni- uh, Punisher. Well, Preacher then Punisher. I always saw it as 
Alan Moore's first work was probably... He's probably Watchmen. Right? That's probably the first thing that fucking guy wrote. He's a wizard! And, you know, <laughs> I, I assumed Chris Claremont's first thing was Giant Size X-Men. You know, like, I, I had this bizarre lack of Wikipedia knowledge growing up of the sanctity of the holy run, right? And, like, how frustrating it is when a showrunner leaves a show or misses a season and how it can change the tone. Sometimes it's actually really good for the show. Check community, right? But sometimes it can be a drastic shift that affects the dynamic of the characters in a negative way, like I kind of felt about Buffy seasons four and six. Or Revenge season three. Three, right? No offense to the showrunners. And at hand, because, you know, it's not saying that a show is bad, because that's even what I like to say now. It's not for me, because I can recognize the value in something, even if that shit's not for me. Superman literally invented that kind of like ubermensch persona across the nation. I know there were characters that preceded him, but he was kind of the cultural vernacular snap that gave us, you know, Superman. And I feel even if I don't love Superman stories, because it's really hard to like someone who's so hard to beat my opinion, you know, whatever. I still see the value in people attaching to this idea of a guy who looks like an average bodybuilder with some kind of vision problem and turns out to be a flying bodybuilder with the ability to blow stuff up with his eyes. So it kind of tracks, you know what I mean? Like I can see where people still like it. And my go-to is it's just not for me. And there's times things are objectively bad. The room is objectively bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? The, the room is objectively bad. But I actually even love... It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, unfortunately, at this point in my life. But this is... yeah, it's subjectively bad. Right. And so I do feel like the things I've seen, whether it's what I want to do or what I want not to do, even by virtue of thinking that's good, but that's not for me, I think that all automatically affects us. Where so how did the idea like did you just kind of wake up one day and was like I'm gonna write a comic book and just went gung ho with it like what what went into the thought process behind it uh, a little bit of of how did you think of the characters like what goes into making a comic uh, especially now in the age of the internet because um, I, I did see Kevo he did show me his process um, of how with inking and it's all done digitally on a um not an ipad but like a a wacom pad there you go so what is um so how did the idea just come about like did you just wake up one day like i'm gonna write comics i know you're a huge massive comic fan well it's what we've always been planning to do with our careers and our lives some sort of writing in some shape or form when we first met in college, we both had aspirations of being television writers, and we had been working on various projects over the course of our relationship, and this was the first one that really struck a chord with both us and our fabulous collaborator, Taryn Inglima, and ultimately drew in our other fabulous collaborator, Tori Sheehan, who was a fan of the work and was like, I want to be part of this. And that's Tori, pretty much Tori how made happened. our podcast logo. Yeah, Tori's, Tori's a fucking bamf. I love this logo so much. It is. My, I don't ever want to change it. Good. I had a different one before, 
and it was terrible, but I love this one so much. I want to put it on shirts, but Tori made this logo. So I, I really like it. You yeah, know, Tori's like absolute the best. And so, you know, I realized that I'd put off creating something significant for a really long time. I kept writing things like, I don't want to use any, you know, when you're writing something, you're never going to release. Even if you talk mm -hmm. about how you're going to release it, you know you're not. That's not. It is not a work for public consumption ultimately, and you know that on some level, even if you don't consciously know it. And those are usually the works that you plan beyond reasonable ability to execute, and just keep adding more once you know. Once you know, you will fail to execute this story. Not you know planning a universe. Planning a universe is one thing. But when you've written one chapter and then you have an outline for 674 more and then you have like a vague pitch for the next six books of varying but similar lengths, you know, you know when you are purposely putting off something. And I wrote a lot of those for a really long time. And I realized how dumb it was to always be waiting for the right work to come along and that literally just translated into our character realized through happenstance that his moment had come along and he kind of considered not taking it and then he kind of considered like forcing other people to be part of his special day but like you know he ultimately gets to where he needs to be and that was kind of the process you know i would rather draw inspiration from life than something super manufactured and artificial could you tell us what uh kid ride is about for our listeners Don't point at me. You're Mr. Smooth. You you give the you give the elevator pitch. So Kid writes the story of a young man, PJ Bear, who gets his long lost idols, Riot and Riot Diva, out of retirement, and together they reform the queer LGBT Riot Squad. Riot was a black queer superhero in the millennial boom of superheroes who teamed up with the trans superwoman Riot Diva. And together, they made a name for themselves in the Old Brunswick area of New Jersey, defending the people who needed to be defended the most. Ultimately, their time as heroes alongside their partner, Riot Boy, would come to an end, but they would eventually reform thanks to the help of Kid Riot. Our story follows that narrative once they're reformed and the numerous characters that they intersect with. It's a densely populated area, the sort of central Jersey region we live in, especially with its, you know, sort of adjacency to new york city so we wanted to create something that was as rich a tapestry as what we knew around us and that's essentially what we're trying to tell superhero stories with some humanity to them i for one like it i actually am looking at my volume one right now of kid riot ah now i'm looking at my volume two i don't have volume two I just oh. have volume one. I've, I've read them on the Demon Hotel. Yeah, we also believe that the important thing about fiction, especially fiction that's meant to be representative of culture, you know, I'm gay and Cuban, and I didn't have any gay Cuban superheroes, and I know that sounds like highly specific, but if you think about how many superheroes are specifically white and straight. Exactly. Because that's what we're saying, that the intersection is okay. There's nothing wrong with being white and straight. That's beautiful. But by saying that there's something wrong with being anything but white and straight isn't beautiful is the problem. So I really wanted to create a character that people could see themselves in, queer Latinx youth and adults. And 
fucking old people and stuff. So I thought one of the most important things would be accessibility. So all of the stories are available online for free while additional content and there are collected editions available in print if you want to support the team. I definitely like going to you guys' booth at Comic-Con. And unfortunately, I, we don't have one this year, but hopefully next year. Well, I am going to be on a New York City Comic-Con online panel for... I don't know if I can reveal the details, but I will be on a panel for a franchise I talk an awful lot about uh, featuring some people from within that community, whether they are fandom or creators. You know, check it out. Yeah, let me know, and then I'll, I'll tweet it out. What, what? So, any advice for people, i.e. myself, who want to write or get into or make a comic of their own? Because I know many times you're just sitting there in the car or in the shower, and you have shower thoughts. I'm like, man, this would be a great story to tell or something to to do. But how does how does one get started? Just do it. Yeah, it's in many ways getting started and figuring out exactly what story you want to tell and fuckling the buck down and doing it and it's not always easy and it's not always quick i myself have been in the process of planning a novel that i'm going to be working on that hopefully is the start of many other stories but then because of that it's taken me months of planning to make sure that I am prepared. And I think that all the work that I've done so far is great, but I could have easily been frustrated and given up at any point, as many of us have with many different ideas throughout our lives. And, you know, it's about hitting the ground running with realistic expectations. And, like, I believe in staggered expectations as well. When we started with Kid Riot... We had a five-issue plan that could also be an eight-issue plan that could also be a 10, a 12, a 15, an 18. Like, we felt there were places that made sense to do cuts. And then once by issue seven or eight, we knew we had, like, a good vibe going. We went into 10 through 12 with the plan to make more after that, but to kind of consider that season one. And we've kind of since adjusted the terminology for it, but that's, like, that first arc that... That's it. That's our first trade. You know, that the first full story of Kid Riot is 1 through 12. And we knew that even if we stopped there, we had that. And that had been the goal all along. Just create a book. And I won't lie, we go back and we've adjusted stuff. And I think we're mostly good with it now. You know, we got some trimming to do. But, you know, we're mostly proud. And the big names can do it. We can do it. And we love what we create now, but that's not to say that when we go back, we wouldn't change things. Stop looking at every work as a precious baby. Because, yes, every work is your precious baby, but if you're creating art for subjective approval and you're under the impression that everyone is going to like your art, you really need to focus who you show this art to. I would not recommend the internet as a venue for it if you are going to be particularly sensitive about reactions people should always be kind there is no confusing that but your first work is going to be rough it's it's just going to be rough man that's that's the nature of first works they you know 
first time you wrote your name down you didn't write it in perfect calligraphy the first time you sang a song you didn't belt a perfect aria and it's just the nature of time itself as well everything doesn't always age exactly the same we have an appreciation for things like grecian urns because we understand its history but if you put it in front of an instagrammer without context they'd probably snark about its design and that's because we don't look at things the same way a hundred a thousand years later and these things need to be taken into consideration that art is aging at an even more rapid rate than ever these days and i know in a world where sort of the three most commodified things are beauty money and time nope i said that wrong beauty youth and time in terms of things that people are willing to pay for as you know in these commodified forms but you can't always create work with the intent of releasing it it sucks but you have to do practice sketches and you can put them up on instagram you can tweet them out you can put them on your facebook but they're not always going to be for sale and if you want you can sell sketchbooks for five dollars with 20 sketches in them there's nothing wrong with that but that's not what you're looking to do that's not one of your sequential pages you have to practice and that includes writing too i hate drafting oh it bugs the crap out of me but it's something that i'm trying to work through it's one thing for me to like do planning and backstory and thinking about characters and all that but actually like drafting without the intention of this being the final product drives me nuts and it's something that I am trying to get better about as a writer because I don't think that that's a healthy thing to try and force yourself through. You need to understand that art takes time. Especially the development of your own narrative voice. There were things I thought would be my trademark forever. I was going to like, so I think if you like, okay, Desperate Housewives is a perfect piece of satire. And I think satire is the most loving way to say, I think this kind of art is great because it's pointing to the great things while also pointing to the flaws in a loving way. And I think Desperate Housewives is a beautiful satire of a soap opera and the death of the nuclear American dream, right? And Mark Cherry, the at least for in terms of his two major series, Desperate Housewives and Devious Maids, is, you know, respectably the genius behind them. And you know, he contributed to Designing Women and to Golden Girls, and so, you know, he's got a really strong background in beloved television, right? Um, mm -hmm. He names almost everything after lyrics and songs by Stephen Sondheim, which is fine by me because I love that idea. And I was like, I'm going to name everything after Tori Amos lyrics my entire life. And then I realized at some point I was just like, how can I make this plot so that I can use the lyric we scream in cathedrals like how can i get my character to a cathedral so i can have that title and like how important is the title right like i love that comics are so fucking obsessed with number ones and stuff but like just date them i don't need numbers I, just date them they can have numbers as well but yeah I think that's some solid advice and I agree with your with comics just put the date on because I don't know how many times you can get a new number one and then have it sell out and you have to get third or fourth print 
It's annoying. That's why I like the Marvel app. It's, uh, yeah, or I'm the a, trades. I'm a thousand percent digital at this point. I will get hardcovers. I really like getting omnibus editions, but I am digital only for Wednesdays. So slightly less than a thousand then. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of your massive omnibuses of X-Men that I've seen in the in your studio, uh, X is for podcasts. The My first real podcast experience was being on that show. Yeah, you know, X is for podcast is actually celebrating its two-year anniversary this month. And we have – it's been – I don't know. It's hard to even talk about because it started as me and my co-host – Jonah, just wanting to cover what we love about X-Men. And he wanted to follow Nightcrawler from the very beginning. And at some point, we got kind of swept up in covering the modern stuff. And now we are kind of exclusively covering modern stuff by accident right now because they're just getting so much out after the crossover that's coming up, Ten of Swords. We're going to get back to getting some old stuff in there. But we have been so excited about covering these books live. It's been a real pleasure to become part of x twitter as well and to get to know the writers and artists and to get to talk to them and hear their reactions to your reactions is really a rewarding experience and you know i love that as much as i love html i wish html sometimes had like a slightly more focused concept so that it could be like html is about this but you know we just love so much and we love sharing what we love for um for X's for podcasts, I know. So I didn't know there was many different podcasts about X Men. Is there like how do you differentiate yourselves from the others? Because I only listen to X's for podcasts. I don't listen to the other ones. But um, is there like how do you try to make the show stand out and like sp- spread out to your audience, or do you just let it come natural and let people just find you? Well. I mean, part of it is that I want to be part of an ongoing conversation and the evolution of fandom as it relates to the things I care about. And I even like to talk about things I have no fucking interest in because it's an opportunity to learn. I mean, mostly when I say talk about, it's get involved in reading a thread, like the informative posts, thank the people who gave the information, follow the necessary people to become more informed on a topic, right? So I like being part of a cultural conversation. And I find that the best way to interact with the cultural conversation is through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook groups or whatever social media platform you like. If you can do it through TikTok, fine, fuck, whatever. You're probably 16. And I (laughs) feel like the thing to keep in mind with something like X's for podcast is it's been two years and roughly every six months we've kind of revamped the show a little bit. When it started, it was a bit slower. We weren't really sure what kind of show we wanted to be, so we described panels with some painstaking detail. And then we became a little bit more like a conversational review, but it was still kind of... The cast dynamic was great. Everybody involved was great. And we just like to reinvent ourselves a little bit every now and then. And right now... The show for the last couple of months and, you know, honestly, for the foreseeable future, the show is a pretty sassy examination of 
the week's X-Books in two 45-minute episodes. We are cycling guests regularly, featuring some of the brightest, loudest, strongest voices of X-Twitter. We've had on uh, Daddy Chongo ATX, who is a phenomenal designer on Twitter, who does these amazing X-Men shirts. We've had uh, Joshua Wheel, better known as Asleep at the Wheel, that's W-E-I-L, who has a fantastic YouTube channel, terrific issue summaries, uh, fast, fabulous loading cover gallery. So if you need to do some research pretty fast on your phone, it loads pretty quickly. Not that I know. So we've uh, just been branching out and bringing in new people. And that's what this is about. The X-Men is about a cultural diversity. Uh, pretty excited. One of our recent contributors, actually two of our recent contributors, are going to be launching a new show. And it's so important because it's what I love about fandom is all of these people have nothing in common. Although, okay, I'm lying. Like 80% of us are Latino, which works for me. We're putting the X back in Latinx and that's what we're proud of. Right. So it's just important to make sure that if what you're making is like a sassy gay conversation, you get out there that it's a sassy gay conversation we traditionally have predominantly queer content providers of color. And if you're not either uh, of the BIPOC spectrum or of the queer spectrum, you are certainly an ally, right? And we like to have parents on a lot because people tend to think comics are all for kids. And while absolutely there are a lot of gay parents out there, there's not enough gay parents talking about comics. So, you know, we have had a lot of parents on the show and they give this really great sort of like straight response to the nonsense we talk about. What's been great is watching the awareness of Jonah's drag race references go up. That's been really rewarding for everybody. The, um, that's good to know. I didn't know that like getting parents in on it. Oh, I mean, yeah, because so many of the X-Men are parents now. It would be ridiculous not to get that contextual perspective. One of the big pushes in the Hawksbox Doc Zoss era, which for those not reading about a year and a half ago, a guy by the name of Jonathan Hickman, who was responsible for the 2014 Secret Wars event, rebooted the X-Men in a very hardcore way. I mean, fucking rebooted the X-Men. It uh, kicked off with a 12-issue series known as House of X and Powers of Ten, the two books that are one, which was meant to be read in a concurrent format. And from there, it went to an era known as the Dawn of X, which is culminating in a crossover known as the Ten of Swords. And now, like, every X-Man has, like, a fucking magic sword, and this is all I've ever wanted. And (laughs) after that, we're going to go into the Sunset of X, which, of course, means this is going to then be the Hawkspox, Doc, Zoss, Socks era. Is my man Gambit doing anything? So Gambit's happily married to Rogue, where they're talking about having kids. Good for them. And that's part of why we really wanted parents on, because, you know, they're talking about the reality of having children. And Jubilee, who has an adopted child, is on the same team as them. So they see firsthand experience what it's like for a super mutant parent on the team Excalibur. He has been keeping a very wary, watchful eye on Apocalypse, who has seated himself as the next coming of the mutant messiah, because clearly the mutant messiah is Xavier with Krakoa and that gorgeous fucking helmet. That helmet is everything to me. 
and Magneto is his like god hand man, right? And Apocalypse is this dark motherfucker off in the corner with Jamie Monarch Braddock doing dark magic to access Otherworld. And Gambit has fallen victim to Apocalypse's machinations at least once, and indirectly, if you think about it, like three or four times. And Apocalypse, who is closely working with the Excalibur team, has Gambit peering over his shoulder constantly, trying to stop him from being like a big fuckwad. I'm glad he's doing something. We're never going to get that movie, though. But Channing Tatum would be so hot in that little bodysuit doing all of his, you know, hottie... What was that movie called? Stripper Jack or something? Magic Mike. Magic, Magic Mike. Mike. Stripper Jack. I, mean, I think he'd be better than... Um, what's his name from Friday Night Lights? Uh, I don't know. I think Taylor Momsen or whatever. I think that... <laughs> I think that Taylor Wolf- Kitsch. There you go. That's it. I think that Wolverine Origins is just not a good movie. Like there are bad movies. I just don't think Wolverine Origins is a good movie, right? Like, like we were talking earlier, where I said, you know, sometimes it's like there's a bad movie, right? Wolverine Origins kind of was for me. I actually do enjoy it. I don't think it's great. You can check out our coverage of the X Men universe on HTML, but. You know, I've seen worse shit for more money. Before, because you mentioned HTML, before I ask about HTML, I do have one question for you, uh, for you both. What is, for Exit for Podcast, did you have an episode that you did that was just a blast to record, to do research for, and that you would say is your favorite? Or maybe, I guess if you have multiple favorites, like favorite of the day or favorite of the week? Or a specific arc that you covered? You know, it's hard because I think Excess for Podcast has like 160 episodes now. So it's a little tough. But I think I would say this last run, right, just to go with this current iteration of the show that we're doing. We had a guest on a couple of weeks ago and he came back again because we had such a good time. Right. And uh, Nathan... When we covered X Factor number one, we sat down and we sunk our teeth into that book for like genuinely 52 minutes. And our analysis of the book uh, was one of the proudest moments I've had in podcasting. And the writer actually responded to it, uh, Leah Williams, who is a gift to comic books and X-Men in specific. So that episode was both fulfilling and rewarding. Oh, that's awesome. I really enjoyed what was the major crossover episode with all of the worldwide superheroes. Contest of Champions. That's what I was going to say. Contest of Champions. That was my favorite so far. It's always a blast, but that one especially was a lot of fun. The uncuttest superheroes ever. I was on that one. Yeah, that was a three-part fucking motherfucking... Mm -hmm. That was a bro down all up on that episode. It was a tremendous time. That was a fun one. All mm. to make toys. And honorable mention goes to the Kitty's Fairy Tale jam sesh we had. Because most people just can't believe how fucking weird that issue is. If you want to take a look, it's like Uncanny like 153, I think. 
If you want to check it out, it's a pretty classic issue. Chris Claremont at his peakest bestest. I'll definitely be checking that out. So, HTML. Husband's talking more or less. I, my favorite part about this, like, first of all, the two of you work so well together and play off of each other that it's very fluid. Oh, thank you. But my favorite thing that I, that, that you do, and I've used this for, for this podcast, whenever we talk about uh, movies, shows, or anything, something very specific, is the amount of research that goes into all the details about the people that don't really so when you see the end credits of the film there's hundreds or thousands of names many of them get overlooked but kevo you always find these people and and talk about their other works and really give them a spotlight that i appreciate because you always think about i guess the little guy and it's not always the director or the lead actor uh sometimes it's the composer or somebody with the in the art direction or the production crew and talk about the other things that they did and i asked you once when we were i think maybe when we were doing the concept of champions uh just your notes and you pulled them up on your phone it was just pages and pages and i was blown away so i don't have pages and pages of notes but i do try to get at least a page or two uh to talk about just everything involved and sometimes it's like fun facts that most people would overlook Mm-hmm. And so you know, as that's per- my favorite part about it. Well, thank you. As a person on the show, I love not knowing that shit when we go into it, and Kevo blows my mind every now and then. He'll be like, "Okay, hon, this one's gonna be a pretty big deal, so I'm gonna give you some advance warning." But mostly, I go into those episodes blind and learn along with the audience, and I think that's actually like part of the fun because I'm like, "Oh shit, what?" And I'm learning along with the audience. I kind of feel maybe a little bit more like it comes off less luxury and more conversation-y. It does. If I could... It's very organic. If I could do a Nico-esque monologue briefly as an example of just sort of what drew me to this sort of thing in the first place. In the 1970s, composer Walter Murphy adapted the first movement of Beethoven's Symphony No. 5 into a disco instrumental called A Fifth of Beethoven, which is that like really jazzy disco version of Beethoven's Fifth that you might have heard in anything emulating the 1970s. He would later serve as the composer for the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1997 before starting a collaboration he's most recently known for with Seth MacFarlane as the long-running composer on Family Guy in addition to American Dad and The Cleveland Show. His successor for three seasons, Christoph Beck, who is one of my favorite composers of all time, would go on to such major success as the recent Muppet films, the Ant-Man and the Wasp films, and the Frozen franchise, which I think went the album went quadruple platinum. And these are just two of the people who did the television score for my favorite WB TV show from the 1990s. And all of these connections that all of the different people have throughout Hollywood and the names that you start hearing over and over again when you pay attention... You know, I don't actually do as much justice for the little guys as I wish I could. I 
do mostly focus on people who are like kind of major but when i see things that jump out like knowing that the costume director who won awards for black panther was someone who was a hire by ryan coogler because he uh you know, loved working with this woman so much. I definitely try to bring in factoids like that when they pop out at me because all of this behind the scenes stuff really does so much to, if not enhance the viewing experience of these things, it at least usually explains sometimes where they make wrong turns and why bad things happen to good ideas. Like, if you don't know that Solo ultimately had, like six and a half directors or whatever, you might not understand how such a well-intentioned film that seeks to solve so many fans burning questions about every part of Han Solo's backstory ever, I guess, right? You might not understand that a good intentioned film kind of fell apart. No, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that, but the level, the level of detail and the connections that you put it, that sometimes I like listening more about that than I do about the topic at hand. Not saying the, to- the topics are very interesting. Don't get me wrong, but just the, I, I'm a, I like movies and I like film and uh, TV shows. I mean, so going to the studio tours and out in LA and just looking at the costumes or listening to other podcasts and where they'll talk about, or they'll talk to the costume designers or uh, other people who are composers and just hearing like the, from their perspective. I'm like, but that little piece that they brought to the film or to the show or anything helped make it the big spectacle that it was. And it wasn't just the lead actor or the director. And I feel like these people don't get enough love, but you give it to them. Well, thank you. Yeah, Kevo, give it to them. Okay, you. Give them that love. <laughs> uh the show is also broken up into arcs, which I appreciate too. So I know, Nico, you're a big fan of Alien. The whole franchise, yeah. Know Alien was covered, uh, Star Wars, and uh, the Fantastic Four, which I'm very much liking. So, is it? Are you picking the things that are near and dear to you that you're just going with, or is it uh, picking out of a hat, looking on the shelf, and just closing your eyes and seeing where your finger lands? Well, like you know, we'll just be laying in bed and be like, "Hey, you want to do this instead?" Sure, and like. You want to pause Star Wars because it's really long? Sure. What's hard is that we have so many things that we want to do. And so it's difficult to choose from the long list of things that we have planned. Where did you get the name? Like, how did you come up with the name? Because it's really cute and I like it. Being gay and talking a lot. And sometimes just getting kind of, you know, full and sassy about it. And, you know. We wanted something cute and catchy like you always want for a podcast title. And we were thinking about our options. Uh, And the obvious, like, Good Morning America and Mary Tyler Moore were already taken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So (laughs) we thought, what makes us different? Well, it's not just that we're gay, because it's not about the fact that we're husbands, but, you know, the queer market is underrepresented. It's not just that we're talking. It's that it's kind of more or less talking. A lot of the show does devolve into Kevo and I reacting, but it's a reaction-based show. That's part of what I like to think we create. We create reaction moments. 
And it's reaction-based, it's fact-based, it's review-based. We try to cover a lot of different bases when it comes to critiquing the things that we're talking about. And it sucks, because, like, it's September, and it's it's a spooky time, and I can't wait to rewatch the entire Conjuring verse because it's like my favorite horror franchise and I wish we could do it. I wish we could just give up 20 weeks to the Conjuring franchise, but like, is that a spoiler for what's after fantastic four? No, after fantastic four, we're going to go back, finish up some star Wars is, and, and then probably end up breaking star Wars again for something else for a little while. And then I feel like we're going to do twin peaks inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. I think peaks, I think the next new thing we're going to do, unless rap battle comes back for a season two, please, please, dear God, please. <laughs> unless rap battle comes back for a season two and I'll update the theme song. If that sweetens the pot, we will do this free for you. Free form. If and like will be the official post show. Yeah. We and we would love it. It was and I mean we'll bring Joey Dragon. He'll just be crying and screaming the whole way in. Yeah. Right? And Jonah will just be too happy to do it. And I It'll be fantastic. You it'll be fantastic for Oh no, there's HTML. There's gift wrap. It is HTML. Yeah, but oh, it's good, Christmas, good, good, good. so that's Christmas. still not. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. So, um yeah. Gift, like, and I keep going to call it gift, gift. So, but rap battle was like, you know, how do we pick the things we do? Rap battle was the ultimate magic surprise. It was, rap battle was the ultimate example of the limits and capacity of our ADD when we see something come across our Hulu screen and say, "What's this?" It looks amazing. Let's talk about it on the internet. It just, it happened. And it was just so spectacular because like, and that is, if you have the question for us of what's our favorite HTML, hands down for me, it's Rap Battle. That it was a question. What was your favorite HTML? Oh, hands down. It's Rap Battle. That three-parter <laughs> where we covered Rap Battle one through six, right? So it was a competition-based reality show where people were eliminated. And after you were eliminated, you had to walk through a giant pair of scissors and you were forced to compete to make the best gift wrapping. And like this woman says that she's uh, the owner of the largest pre-folded napkin empire. And then like you look online and she's got like 48 likes. I'm like, I don't want to overexcite you, but I feel like rap battle would watch so differently now that I've seen Melrose place. Oh, oh, absolutely. I feel like there's no question there. It's just, Oh, cause I treated it as I treated it as an over-the-top soap opera satire the entire time we covered it. I treated every moment as though it was a painful life or death experience for everybody involved. It was for oh, some of them. It was breathtaking, and the for hair, like, and the thing that absolutely punches me in the neck over and over again is like, like, I kind of feel like the curb stomp scene in American History X about it is that there is no format you can watch Rap Battle on right now. It is not streaming on any service. And if you happen to be some kind of surfing the web pirate, you can usually find stuff if you, like, dig deep enough. But, I mean, 
we've looked past the videos of the Russian traffic accidents and just under the videos of Teletubbies morphed into horrible nightmarish monsters more so than they already are. And it is nowhere to be found. Not on Vimeo, on YouTube, on Google Vids, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go down deep in the uh, the bay, as they would say. There's nothing down there. No. No. no yeah, we trust us. Saying. We we docked in the bay. We 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 scored the entire sea floor. We captain jacked that shit. You gotta like find somebody on on Reddit who maybe bootlegged it or like recorded it on VHS. And... Well, actually, I wanted to say that the actual cast of the show reached out to say thank you for covering it because we did intentionally cover it as a hyper satiric soap opera, right? Like I said earlier, I love satire and I did sort of treat it like a 1940s radio drama where I was constantly screaming and like that it was so intense and stuff. And they understood that nothing was actually calling them bad people. It was addressing the character that was created by the network editors and you know, it It was such a... I'm trying to rewind. Uh, so, anyway, <clears throat> I was about to say it was such a rewarding experience again. But anyway, so the cast reached out to say that they actually really appreciated everything that we did. And ultimately, one of them was like, yeah, please tell me you guys still have it. Because none of us do. And there's no way to get it. And, like, these people have reached out to the deepest, darkest, hand is like a shark's fin levels of the web like we're talking like LL Cool J's few failures right and no one can get this sad face so if anybody has it please uh please Please, by all means pleases and cheeses dear sweet Jesus we'll pay you in candy and cookies that's hot um one last thing about html uh the music do you write it all yeah it's fantastic thank you uh as a composer and this is what i do you know i enjoy sitting at the keyboard and you know like obviously i didn't write the star wars theme but that's my arrangement of it and then there's places i do write our themes i've written all of the themes to x's for podcast Except, oh, no, for the first 20 episodes, we used I Need a Hero by the uh, the Fru-Fru cover, right? I was about to say by Imogen Heap, but no. Uh, we used the mm-hmm. Fru-Fru cover for, I guess, 20 or so episodes. And then when we switched over to Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix saga, I think I kicked in Burn. I did a weird fucked up version of Burn from Hamilton, right, to reflect Gene's turmoil. And then when we came back, we came back with original themes and I've also done the theme for our guest spot for the summer, Too Fast, Too Forever. So I, you know, talking about podcasting, I wouldn't be doing any of this shit if it weren't for the coolest motherfucker I know, Joey Lewandowski. Guy runs Cage Club Network. He is the best, and he has afforded me an ugly number of opportunities to express myself on the interwebs. And he has us on for the summer. Uh, we've never seen the fan, the Fast and Furious franchise ever, any of it. Zip, zilch, nada, right? And now we're getting, like, turbocharged up the wazoo. And I kind of feel like Vanellope in 
Wreck It Ralph. Like I just feel like I'm trying to hang on to the seat of my car pants. It's really exciting uh, being on this show, and but yeah. So I also wrote the theme for that show. That's what I was getting at. Did you? Uh, I like Tokyo Drift, and I feel like it gets a lot of flack. We're not there yet because we're watching them in chronological order. So we're watching. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we'll let you know how we feel about it yeah. when we get there. Because we're watching six this week and we're doing it wednesday and then we have tokyo drift okay let me know when you when you get to it what do you think um by, by the way i want the your avengers version as my ringtone because i do have like the disney version on my ring as my ringtone but i would like yours better because when i hear it i always hear yours in my head not the, the actual one from the movie so somehow you can make that happen yeah, I can send you the MP3, like the creepy one. Um, the one that it sounds like there's a xylophone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a marimba. Yeah. Yes, that one. If you, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Because I think it sounds great. All right, so wrap it up. We like to do when people come on lightning round, just fun random questions. So I got f- six of them here. Ready? Hit me. What are your thoughts on Denny's? No, real diners only. Fuck that shit. <laughs> meanwhile Favorite... my answer is i guess it's fine i don't see the big deal mr making a pouty face over there i hop is fine denny's is not uh it varies it probably varies establishment to establishment there perkins are worse is places good. perkins is good i like perkins 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 hits the spot yeah yeah i'd never been to one before kevo and now like yeah fuck fuck that that's good all right. What about favorite Star Wars movie? Eight. Really? Oh yeah, absolutely. By far, by far. Like, yeah, eight, and then Rogue One, and then I guess five. Which one's five? Okay. Empire, Empire, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right now, I'm actually saying Rise of Skywalker. I know that's might that that might be controversial to some, but. I was so severely let down by Revenge of the Sith in 2005. And I was so expecting Rise of Skywalker to be a complete Sith show. And ultimately it wasn't. Are there flaws? Yes. But, you know, I think some of the things that are flaws might just take time to digest. I'm sure in 1983 people were horrified by the Emperor by Luke and Leia being twins, by the second Death Star, but I was, like, nearly a decade late by the time I watched that, so I had a little bit more of a gap in that. I think it's the same way that Jonah has reacted better to the prequels than we did because he was younger growing up with them than we were. Fair. Absolutely. Like, a Renaissance Fair levels affair. But I ultimately really like the way that everything panned out. I like Ray's journey. I think it was important to close out the Skywalker saga, and I think it was important to bring back all of the Palpatine stuff to do that. And, you know, there could have been worse things. I love it. I wish everybody went into that movie with that mindset, because I don't think it's nearly as bad as they say. I I actually enjoy it a lot, quite a lot. It's like the best of, oh, I love him, Poe. It's the best of Poe Dameron. 
I think some of its biggest flaws are things that are unfortunately unavoidable, like the inclusion of Leia in the story, I feel is a little bit clunky, but it's specifically a tribute to Carrie Fisher. The fact that Harrison Ford came back at all was a huge surprise and a huge get and something he only did because we lost Carrie. And, you know, if you can't take into consideration all of these things and this history for the ninth episodic installment of a franchise that also has a ton of TV shows and movies outside of these episodes, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. I think it was overall really enjoyable. I could not agree more. Number three, New York style or deep dish pizza? I say New York style or Chicago style. New York only, please. Stuffed crust? Can I say that? Sure. Yeah. The the unofficial third option. Sure. Stuffed crust. Rest in peace, Pizza Hut. Oh, I know. Yeah, I hope they make it out. I mean, you know. How's anyone doing these days? Fair. I, I think they'll make it out in some some fashion but i'm pretty sure domino's waiting in the wings to buy them up to get that patent for stuff crust domino hut <laughs> that's a good one uh okay if you could read one comic one comic run for the rest of your life what would it be so the one that you would take with you when you were going to crash on the deserted island new x-men never by grant morrison new. period we're good I'm torn between Jeff Smith's Bone and Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Sandman is a lot heavier, but is it? But it's also colorized, and I do like that. The original Jeff Smith's Bone was black and white, and the coloration that they did for the complete series is different from the coloration they did for the reprints in Disney Adventures magazine in the mid-90s, and I don't like that. Certain characters are literally colored different, and I don't like it, so I don't accept it. I, Nico, you told me to read Bone once. I don't think I ever. I know I never did. So I'm looking at my shelf, and I don't see it. No, it's so mad good. You it. should definitely check it out. I do have to read Sandman though, which I've never read, but I want to. You should Especially then. before they make a show. Uh, and I, I'm, this next question, I'm really interested in Kevo's answer because I think I know what it is. Well, actually, I'm torn between two, but I want to see if either of them is true. Uh, favorite TV show of all time, either live action, like real people, or cartoon. That's really tough. I guess my favorite. I'm gonna qualify it. Like I said, I kind of don't love the nature of of like superlatives, but one of my all time favorite TV shows would be Golden Girls. Uh, if I could put an asterisk, I would put Project Runway up in that category. I'd throw West Wing and Buffy up there. You know, it's really hard to say one show. If we're talking cartoons, I guess the Avatarverse. Um, I would also probably throw in... Oh, God, like my brain is spasming and I just can't see what it is. And I just want to... Give me hints. Gravity Falls. Mm. I would put Gravity Falls up there for sure. I just started watching Avatar. I finished the first 
arc, and I'm not starting the second one. Nice. Never watched it before, so now it's on Netflix. And then I got Korra on the list after that. Sweet. Kevo, what about you? Because I I'm wondering if it's one of these two that I'm thinking of. Well, I'm curious what your guesses are. So for cartoon, it's Gargoyles, and for live action, it's Buffy. I mean, those answers are correct, but it's hilarious to assume that I would only have two answers. Because I get, I definitely gave like sixteen when you said rapid fire lightning. Give one. Like <laughs> I, of all people, could not possibly those. And also, if you throw in Doctor Who, even though I came to it a lot later in life, I have now loved Doctor Who for like a third of my life. Honorary mention of Marvel's Daredevil. Sorry about that. Mm, That's good stuff, too. Uh, It's harder to say all time, so instead what I wrote down was a few favorite underrated shows of the last five years. Ooh, perfect. Uh, Most specifically, a show that uh, I think is potentially joining the, like, echelon ranks in some ways of Buffy and Doctor Who is The Magicians. It was a really rough start, but I blame a lot of that on the fact that it is an adaptation of a book that has some really rough stuff in it. It, They're really interesting books, but they're sort of a Brett Easton ellis take on Harry Potter and Narnia, and so they get a little bit heavy, so a lot of the heavier stuff that they put in earlier in the show comes directly from the books and so that was a lot to get through but by seasons two and three it's amazing we all sat at that restaurant ordering caesar salads but none of us could eat because of all the coke we did yeah because of all the magic coke that's very brett easton ellis magic i mean that's like that's straight up from less than zero i think yeah Another really amazing show that I introduced Nico to is Timeless. It was oh, a very, so cute. very short-lived NBC show about time travel that uh, I don't think could have been much longer lived than it was. Maybe a third season, but it was very sweet, very well-intentioned. And Malcolm Barrett from Better Off Ted deserves all the work. Yes, and I cannot remember what the name of Agent Christopher is, but she also appears in season two of Lost in Space, and she is an amazing queer woman of color on the show as their boss. And it's just, it was a really sweet, well-intentioned show. Uh, Some lighter fare is Superstore, which is an amazing sitcom that we love that I think is a lot in the vein of The Office but a little less heavy. But sometimes a little meaner because of it. The Quinceanera episode is quite literally one of the most gut-wrenching things. I mean, that is up there with the gang. That That is up there with Sweet D's Big Break. Okay, I get that. I also want to just give a quick shout out to High School Musical, the musical, the series, which turned out to be uh, one of my favorite comedies on TV this year. I was really, I mean, there's stuff that, you know, it's a marriage. You watch things for each other. I don't think Kevo ever expected to fall in love with Frasier the way he did. And I don't think he ever expected to fall in love with the Golden Girls the way he has. Yeah, I was going to say, let's say Golden Girls. Right. But, you know, at the same time, I started watching High School Musical, the musical, the series for Kevo, my husband, my husband, my Kevo. And I walked away a big fan and enjoyer, a fan and enjoyer, because it was actually really good. 200% representation, 
you know, sometimes the jokes are a little... <laughs> Very clunky and uh, self-aware while not being aware of themselves at all. But um, it was a very sweet first season and some really amazing queer representation uh, for Disney Plus, despite what some people might have to say about it. And I would highly recommend it. I would honestly recommend the show more than I would recommend the movies to people. Mikey, you're still connected, right? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, because my phone is frozen at uh, a time. So I just wanted to make sure I hadn't lost you. No, I'm still here. I'm listening. And then part Fun two. fact, I'm like Game of Thronesy related to Kelsey Grammer through like various marriages, but he's like in the tree. I feel like I've like my uncle's that. Side. I so he is my favorite actor. I know he can be a little problematic at times, but but we love him on Troll Hunters, another great show. Oh my god, Troll Hunters is one of the most fantastic cartoons of the last ten years. Oh my god, Jim is the hero we all deserve. Uh it's such a good show. It it really I mean it's Guillermo, so like it it's cheating. But you know, if you're gonna cheat, cheat with Guillermo. I want to cross over between <laughs> Tales of Arcadia and Shira Princesses of Power. I know it's not possible, but like do it anyway. Who cares? Do it anyway. I mean the Jetsons met the Flintstones. Who cares? Grant Morrison's Animal Man. DC gave his Metaverse Crossing Animal Man permission to go into, like, Tex Avery cartoons. Yeah. So, like, you know, they did some really dynamic, cool things. The X-Men have fought Starfleet over the Shi'ar. Wait, Really? Yeah, you know, as long as it's not really canon, you can get away with anything. The Power Rangers met the DC superheroes in the last decade, I think. And the Transformers have trans-fucked everyone. Huh. I did not know any of this existed. I knew the Power Rangers were doing stuff. Or Ninja Turtles, I mean, Ninja Turtles did stuff with Batman recently. Yeah, yeah Ninja Turtles right. are, because, like, the Ninja Turtles are having, like, a, a turtle sense and, like... Mm. A shell a sans. A ren a shell. A shell a ren. ren a shell a sans. Shelly Long. We love Shelly Long. We've been watching a lot of Modern Family lately. I'm very upset that that's over. Yeah, but you know what? It's 250 episodes. I'm I'm more upset that it's not streaming anywhere. We have copies of all the seasons, so that's not you know a problem for us personally, except for the you know the mild inconvenience of it not being available on our fire stick, but uh, it's a really great show. Some of it hasn't aged amazingly, but it started in 2009. So what do you, what do you expect? It's like what we were talking about earlier, the way that art ages over time. It ended very well too. Like a lot of shows endings looking at how I met your mother wasn't, the best but this one's very it was very nice it was very tasteful and it it was really organic and i think that it left the door open with the potential for more which is what a lot of shows are doing lately which i love i love reunions and new seasons we were really big fans of fuller house because it's just you know cute fun and that can be okay sometimes and you know it was baller 
the Parks and Rec Zoom call. Yeah. It was. That was literally like one of the emotional highlights of this pandemic for me. It kicked off a trend of similar projects, including one of our all-time favorite sitcoms, Happy Endings, doing a reunion Zoom episode. Oh, and might I say, Happy Endings, which we do believe is like the holy grail of perfect comedy of its era, this gentleman and his lovely wife, very smart, she's from a very good family, I've heard, she and he are also Happy Endos. Um, you lent me happy endings years ago, seasons one and two, and then we just maybe about two, three weeks ago finished we rewatched and we watched season three. And where it ends, it's like I, did it get cancelled? Because I didn't think they were intending it to end it there. They kind of had like a hot minute, but they were hoping they'd get more. Okay. Happy endings very good. Very, very good. It has a startling number of jokes per minute. Yeah, I kind of want to podcast it just to talk about that. And there's so many things you don't realize are actually references to things. And there's things that, like, one of us will laugh at. And the other thinks it sounds funny, so they think it's just funny sounding. And I'll be like, no, did you never get that that's a reference to this thing? And, like, it's it needs its own, like, annotated wiki. Like... That should be a thing. I would love to be the guy that does annotated pop-up videos of shows. Oh, I would love to watch those. I would do the shit out of it. And, like, you could watch it on an app, especially. And you could just click on the fact if you want it. Pull up the fact if it's interesting. Pull up the fact if it's interesting. Because they'd be tagged, you know? And you can always pause, replay scene. Like, we're living in the fucking golden age of television because television isn't on television anymore. And that's pretty fucking golden, right? So why aren't we doing more dynamic, interesting things with the technology we have instead of producing a season of Big Brother that you're able to produce explicitly because these people quarantined for two weeks? Why not find a way to utilize some scripted content in this day and age, you know? I completely agree. I think there's a lot of untapped potential out there. All right. Last question. And this is something that you asked me once, sort of. So I'm just elaborating on it. If you could have an action figure two pack of any two characters from any medium, what would it be? Okay. I, I don't know what answer I've given before, but where I'm at, in my world, it's it's just the hard part is two pack. That's that's the Trixie. I get that, right? Because I guess if I could have a two pack of anything, any medium, I think I would probably go with John Constantine and Epiphany Graves. That, that is my that is one of my absolute OTPs of all time, and she's never gonna get a fucking toy, and you know uh, the trade that features their wedding is coming out soon, right? And it happened like ten fifteen years ago, so I get to talk about it now. Everyone can fuck off, right? And at the end of the series, they are married. So when that iteration of John Constantine disappeared because of 
New 52 and all of that jazz, right? And he showed up over in Justice League Dark when my John Constantine disappeared from existence. He was married to Epiphany. And, like, that was really fulfilling to me. And Kit showed up at the wedding and what a fucking deal that was. And, like, it was so perfect. And I can't imagine any character deserving to be in a box for all time making fun of John for being an old man who still thinks it's important to have abs. I No one he deserves more than Epiphany, and there is no one who deserves everything John Constantine has to give more than Piff. I like it. I'd buy it. Kevo? This one is really hard, like Nico said. For one thing, it being a duo, um, and also me just being a greedy fuck and like wanting a playset instead. But uh, the first thing that really came to mind was that I had always wanted Space Cases action figures when I was a kid. So that was like Rorschach test, the first thing that came to my mind. I'm looking because, like, this name sounds familiar. Wow. It was a very short-lived sort of sci-fi sitcom action-adventure show on Nickelodeon that was only on for literally one year with the first season lasting from February or March through to June and season two going from September or October to January. And it was actually created by Marvel Legend people. It was created by Marvel Legend Peter David, who most people would know for writing over 250 issues of The Incredible Hulk, being the guy behind Future Imperfect and The Maestro, for revolutionizing the name X Factor with the all new, all different X Factor from issue 71 to roughly issue 100, where he would work temporarily with Joe Casada, who would go on to become editor-in-chief at Marvel, who would give David a second run on X-Factor, running over 100 issues, focusing on the multiple man, one of my all-time favorite fictional characters, Jamie Madrox. And it wasn't really a nothing show, either. It featured such major guest stars as... Mark Hamill and the original Will Robinson from Lost in Space, Katie Seagal, and George Takei as the recurring villain Warlord Shank. I love the fact that you guys give. It's like, Oh, I love that show so face. much. I would love a chance to do something with that property. It was so cute and so fun. And for your listeners at home, I would point out that two of the leads were former Power Ranger Walter Emanuel Jones and later on Kaylee from Firefly Jewel State who would also be on Stargate Atlantis with Jason Momoa she played ah. two or three different characters ah wait is this the live action show yes it is particularly live action with very real not cartoon people No. Oh, this is the name. Okay, so I don't know what. So I'm watching The Wire, and I thought one of the characters was the the guy who played Alan Strange on the Nickelodeon show Alan Strange. And then I yeah. remembered there was another show 
where the original one of the original Power Rangers was on. And I was like, what is this show called? Yep. And it just I, I I remember really, really enjoying it. And I was like, oh, and when I was a kid, I was like, oh, you're the Power Ranger. You don't live in that world and you're that's not your full time job is to be a Power Ranger. You actually do other things, five year old me was saying. So you I'm didn't like, go to the World Peace Conference. This is what you did. At five years old, <laughs> I had to learn that real hard, real fast, because I had some real severe cognitive dissonance trying to assemble Jane Curtin. Okay. I'm so happy now that I know the name of the show again. You're welcome. That's why I, I solely watched it, because I was like, that's the Power Ranger, so now I have to watch this show. And I remember like enjoying it very, very much. Oh, thank you for that. Now I got to find it on some kind of streaming service or I, something. Honestly, most stuff you just try YouTube first. Unless YouTube it's rap battle. Unless it's rap battle. So that wraps up today's episode. Where can everybody find you at? Uh, you're on all your different mediums, platforms, and podcasts. So you guys can find us all over the Cage Club network at cageclub.me. That's C-H... No, do not. No, do not go there. That's C-A-G-E-C-L-U-B dot M-E, right? Cage Club. And you can find us all over that network, guest starring on shows like Hanks for the Memories all summer long. We're going to be on Too Fast, Too Forever with the amazing Joe and Joe 2. You can also find all of our shows, like the aforementioned X's for Podcast and HTML. And if you want to know a little bit more about me, you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Meanwhile, you can find me on those same platforms at KevoReally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can also find the super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories that we've been telling over at KidRideComics.com. I love it. And I like how you guys do that at the both of at the end of all your episodes. So I kind of wanted you to do it now, and I'm really glad that you did. <laughs> well, thank you. It's kind of Pavlovian. Right. I can't turn it off if someone's like, where can I find you? Like, sometimes when I'm meeting someone and they're like, oh, well, what's your contact information? And I'm like, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O. I have to go. It's better that way sometimes because if we were left to our own devices, it would just be chaos. It'd be mostly me biting the counter. All right. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.